Welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So each week we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. This week, we have a very special guest. I like to call him the furniture whisperer. (laughs) (laughs) Phil Lancaster, our... Okay, I'm going to get this wrong. Senior Director of Merchandising. That's correct. That is correct. Awesome. Um, And he's going to tell us all about antiques and furniture and what we need to know. And he's going to just be our... Not all about it. I'm going to tell you the things that I know. So not... It's going to be a short episode. (laughs) (laughs) I know some stuff. I know a little bit about a lot of different things. Okay. All right. Well, that's good enough for me. That's more than we know. So that'll be good. So let's do our trials and triumphs. So you might have remembered I said I had I had bought the console that I didn't need from here, Ballard, and I had no place for it. I fixed it, and I'm Yay. so excited. I, my husband and I decided I talked about all the places we could put it, what we could get rid of to place it because we I really liked it. So something had to go, but instead of something having to go, we put it. We have our big long linen sofa against. The wall, like windows mm-hmm. in the back of the room, just the way our house is. Anyway, we put the console behind it, and I put my two lamps with the black shades Cute. up on top of that. So, and it rose everything up, mm-hmm. and it looks awesome because it brings Wait, height to the room. The coral lamps, coral lamps with black, with black shade. shades. Are these ones with the tassels? No, no, those, those are, are also in the same room though. Okay. Those are on the buffet. That's in the same room, but. Mm-hmm. My coral lamps with the black shades are now up high above my sofa. So it's even better for reading it like in the evening mm-hmm. and the just the way the light is in the room too. I like much better. So that was my That's very triumph. Exciting, but here's a question. If it's kind of against the wall, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. no, it's not like it's right against, the, against win- the wall, but it's close to the wall. Do you not see it very often? You don't see it that often. Is that I just the like old what it's console doing. or the new console you stuck back there? It's the new one. Oh, okay. So, yes, you really don't get to appreciate the pretty legs. And I can't use the drawers, but I don't have to get rid of it. That's right. Because now I'm using it as a tall surface. At some point, you might, like, yeah, later move in life, or she'll change have your room around and be perfect. able to Oh, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. why I knew I loved the piece, so I wanted to make it work. And I really actually like it because it also has a bottom, a really tall bottom shelf. And so I bought these three tall, cool baskets to go on it. They go along it. And again, you can't see them except from the The TV room from the side. You can see the legs in these cool baskets. But I have three more places to store, shove stuff that you can't see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Yep. So I was really, so I got more storage. That's awesome. And I didn't have to get rid of anything. (laughs) Hoarders. Um, But the negative, which is my trial, is. I have two very 1950s side tables that the lamps were on that are beside the sofa. And they're great because they're low, like the arm of my my sofa's low. But they're big squares. And without the lamps on them, they're kind of useless surfaces. Mm -hmm. So do I get rid of those? And I guess you'll need an image. Or what else do you place on the side table other than like I have some art and like picture frame layered but they're, they're pretty wide they're like 20 by 20 
Mm-hmm. Maybe so you're trying to think of what you can put there to make it look purposeful. Why don't you get more lamps? I because love there are tons lamps of directly lamps. behind it on the sofa table. Oh. So then it might be too many lamps. I do love lamps. I love yeah, lamps. Yeah, but two what lamps about back to like back a is really a cool uh, like oversized candle hurricane thing. Maybe. So then you'd get some pretty mm-hmm. ambient lighting for parties and stuff and it mm-hmm. would sort of be I'm I'm holding on my hands like I think at least, you know, 18 inches tall, maybe 6 mm-hmm. inches round with one of those really big candles in it. Mm-hmm. I love that look. You okay. could also do like yeah. a big tray on top and have like a little I like to like save matchbooks from places we go in like a little dish with a with like a scented candle and then your hurricane and then like have a grouping of three mm-hmm. little things. You need some it. a little bit of height, I feel like maybe a plant. Yeah. Oh, oh, I could do a plant. plant. Orchid. Mm-hmm. They don't die. That's a good idea. Stick a bird and on. And it always makes something feel a little more alive if there's a plant. Mm-hmm. Very true. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll try that. Or even like what or about get rid a of the side cylinder tables? with some branches in it to get you some height? Be yeah. pretty. Chop them out of your yard or use faux ones. Mm-hmm. I love a lot of height like that in an well, that's what I love situation because it, it just it's it brings your eye up. Mm-hmm. No, that well, the lamps are doing that right now, which is awesome. So you br- you really brings you from like the pillows and then you go up like your eye does. So it's great, but yeah, I don't know if I should just utilize them or get rid of them. Am I trying to decorate it too much? But and don't need you need to... a place to set your drink down if you're yeah. a guest? So if I get rid of those, though, I'm going to have to do, like, a smaller cocktail table of some sort. We I... have a lot of great – we also have some really good ones coming out soon. Oh, I know. I know which ones you're talking on about. A certain one. That... Ooh, you guys. You know secrets about product? We always know secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tara, don't get rid of them yet. Okay. Try some stuff on mm-hmm. them first okay. before you ditch them. Well, I don't want to get rid of them, so I would like to, but they're way too short to put next to a bed. Or Do like, you have, could you use them next to each other, like as a coffee table in a different, like in your TV room or yeah, something? Yeah, I hadn't even like, thought of that. Next to yeah. Them. Or outside. What about on your patio with your outdoor furniture? I could. It does get kind of damp, so it'll probably ruin them, but. If it's covered, I bet. I don't know. It depends what they're made out of, I guess. We made that covered porch. It's not that great. Oh, okay. Do you, um. <laughs> I meant that like- lovingly. <laughs> if do listening. you like them more than any bedside tables? Like than maybe they're too short. They're just too short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like yeah, retro. Yeah, your blue bed low. is really tall, so it probably yeah. it wouldn't work next to anyway. Okay. Well, okay, that's all I had. Move things around. Okay, Karen. All right, I'm going to tell you a great story about Joe Mooney and how sweet he is. This is a triumph. About <laughs> my husband Joe Mooney. Whoa, he is very. He's a very thoughtful man. Um, so. Um, for my birthday recently, he surprised me, um, with a gift and we had been, um, we were both out of town for my birthday. So I was in high point with you guys Mm -hmm. and he was up in New York and then I left high point and went to meet him. And when I got to the hotel, um, knocked on the door and he was like, Hey honey, happy birthday. Here's your gift. And I was like, what, what, what is this? You know, because we're not huge gift givers or anything. It was a handbag that I had mentioned in passing to him weeks before. Just like, oh, I saw this cute summer bag when I was out today. And he asked just enough questions at the time to figure out what it was was, and where it was from. And I had no Aww. clue at Aww. all. And um, 
And he went in New York to the store. It's a store called Stephen Allen, and we have one here on the west side. And so he um, went to the one in New York and got it. Isn't that so sweet? It is really sweet. So thoughtful. And I love it. It's really cute. It is super cute. And it's tassels. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Big fat tassels. Mm -hmm. It's like almost not blush, but it's blush. Yeah, it's like nude or blush. I thought it was nude, and then everyone keeps saying it's blush, so it's, it goes either way. I love it. I love it's it. Really cute. It's a little bucket bag. Anyway, kudos to Joe Mooney. Thank you, honey. So here's the flip side of that. So here's my trial. This is how ridiculous I hated I the bag. But it was ugly. No, I love it. Um, I'm really awful with dates. Calendars. I will book uh, airplanes, uh, flights for the wrong month or the wrong day i'm i just have a hard time processing that all correctly in my brain and i'm also really um bad at remembering birthdays anniversaries all that stuff so i just recently had my anniversary may 17th i know y'all know where this is going (laughs) may 17th again joe's out of town in new york and i'm in atlanta and we were talking on the phone that morning, just chatting. We usually try to talk each morning when he's out of town. And, you know, we talked for a good 10 minutes, and he's like, so, um, you got anything else? And I was like, no. No. <laughs> he's like, uh, it's uh, our anniversary today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had no clue. It was not on my radar at oh, all no. that it was even this month or anything. It was really bad. You didn't even, not even the month? No. I don't, I don't know. I just can't remember that. <laughs> don't age yourself. <laughs> I can't remember. Lesson learned, everyone listening. Put it all on your calendar. So anyway, I had a lovely birthday gift from my husband and I forgot our anniversary. Crushing it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Learning Who's lessons. Who's the better spouse? Yeah, Joe is, clearly. Duh. The dog likes him. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Okay, so my trial. Okay, I was hosting. It's not that big of a deal, but this is how things go when you're having people over. I um, was having some girls over. My brother, I mean, my husband had planned to go with his brother to a soccer game. We have, like, a new soccer team. Atlanta United. United, yeah. Um, For his brother's birthday. And so they were going to be out of town. So I called some girlfriends and was going to have them for a dinner party. And it had been a gorgeous day all day. Our yard looks amazing because all of our hydrangeas are in bloom and they look great. And our porch was all nice and I tidied it up and mowed the yard and like our yard looked awesome. So I was really excited to have everyone over and have cocktails and snacks on our front porch. So I'm like... Making my little goat cheese mm-hmm. appetizer that we have every time we record the podcast. It's so good. And um, I was like, you know, doing final things as people are about to come over. I look up. A rainstorm has come in, blown all of my furniture into the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a wind. Like, literally, I mean, the furniture itself, but like the cushions off the chairs, like, come off into the hydrangea bed. Like, my l- chairs that are sort of like teak and easy to move that I bring onto the porch when we have guests over fell over into the bushes. Like everything is scattered which way. The wind was like, or the rain was like going sideways. So 
all of the furniture was wet uh, because it was like yeah, coming through the sideways deck. in, yeah. you know? And so I was really upset mm. because it was like five minutes before people were coming over. I was like, oh, dang it. So I they come inside. Yes, we had to yeah. sit inside. Boo. Anyway, Boo-hoo. but I was just like, darn it. I was so excited to sit out. And anyway, so that was my trial. And then my triumph is that with our Margot Shaw episode, she was talking about doing um, cups of herbs, like cut from your yard. And I don't have a lot of herbs in my yard. I have some rosemary, but that's about it. But I made the cutest centerpiece for, and I'll share a picture, um, for my girl supper club, which was, I just had these little like pottery, like Will's aunt does pottery and she makes every year she'll give us like one year she gave us two like tall cylindrical white pieces. One year she gave us four wine glasses. Another year she gave me some other things. So I put all of those, grouped them in the centerpiece as a centerpiece, Mm -hmm. like linearly. And in each container, I put a different herb. So I put a big, and I just got them at like our farmer's market. Potted herbs or cut? No, no, cut ones. Okay. Literally just out of the grocery store. Oh, cool. Like a cat farmer's market. You know, they'll have big bunches of like. Yeah, cilantro or something. Cilantro. Mm -hmm. So I, well, I did bay leaves, rosemary, sage, um, Mm. Time, but it smelled good. It smelled so it good. Oh, basil. Yum. Um, I wanted to do lavender, but they mint. didn't have it. But yeah, yeah, mint, and just did like one each cup had a different. What a great idea, Caroline. And at this farm, I mean, I go to the international farmers market by mm-hmm. her house because they have big, huge clumps of herbs, and they're like seventy cents each. Yeah. So this was like a big centerpiece, and it was probably five dollars. And, I mean, what a better – you can't think of a better thing for spring or summer than it's something so that looks good. like that. You could cook That's from it later. That's a good idea. Anyway, it was Or awesome. even if, genius. say, it was a shower or something, you could always be like, and you can – this is your gift. Yeah. Like, you can take the – I'm not saying you're giving away your aunt's pottery, but if you had little inexpensive cups or terracotta mm-hmm. pots or something, yeah. you could be like, and everyone gets to take one to go. Yeah. You know, is yeah, your sure. – what do you call that when you get a party Post, favor? Like, yeah, party yeah. favor. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'll share a picture, but I thought it was Good a great idea. way. If you want to have people over, but you don't want to go get like $40 and cut flowers. Yeah, especially yeah. for flower arranging impaired people like me. I I mean, I'm stealing that idea tomorrow. I would just, <laughs> I put like the little, um, like, rubber, a rubber band, band around the bottom. So they didn't um, flop all over. Yeah. Smart. And it was easy. Gosh. So, anyway. I like that it. That was my trial. <gasps> Good. Yay. 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 <laughs> On to our guest. Yay. I'm excited. Yeah. Cool. We are so excited to have Phil today. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been badgering him to to be a guest on the podcast so. for months. Yeah, and he was well, like, "No, that no, no." You kept saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't feel badgered. I just felt very comfortable saying no. (laughs) Over and over. And then one day I was asked again, sure, yeah, okay. We just got you on a good day. (laughs) Random Tuesday. Yeah. So I'm excited to be here. Yay. Yay. Uh, We call Phil downstairs where Phil and I work because you guys are upstairs. Um, The professor. So (laughs) he is always teaching. I remember one, we were talking about something at work and I said, oh, that's modern and Someone else called it contemporary, and he was like, okay, 
Those are two separate things. Exactly. <laughs> and that maybe should be the first thing. Yeah. Tell us the difference, because you're right. People use them interchangeably, and that is not true. Right. So the term modern relates to the designs that came out of the Bauhaus in Germany. Um, and this would have been in the but, but mid... But say what that is. Okay. okay. Yeah, I feel like mid, I should take notes. Mid, <laughs> mid, mid to late 20s was when it started, and then... Um, once the war was getting ready to happen, most of the people that the Bauhaus was closed and most of those people left Germany and went to other places. So Mies van der Rohe, the architect, moved to Chicago, that kind of thing. Anyway, the designs that come out of that were it was the beginnings of, of thinking about how you could turn um, industrial manufacturing into home furnishings. And so you're taking a company that manufactures um, bicycle handlebars and bends that metal and chromes it. Well, that's then made into a broider chair. And so all of that bent metal, that was a big part of what that was about. Cantilevered chairs, things that people had not seen before, very exciting. And part of that was then referred to as modern that that look and that style of leather and wood combined with chrome all of that from that period is referred to as modern now what oh you finish then i'm gonna have a hundred questions okay keep going all right (laughs) contemporary is just what that word means it's what's happening right now So modern people think, well, oh, that's modern. But if it's not influence from the Bauhaus, if that's not the the design and the lines and the structure of it, then it's not. It's contemporary in that sense. Question? Yes, I have a question. (laughs) So mid-century modern, how does that fit in there, or is it one and the same? Because I feel like that is mid-century, no? it, It is not one and the same. Um, And mid-century is exactly what that word means. It's things that started in the 40s. By this time, the Bauhaus is gone. Okay. And all those people had dispersed. Um, That design aesthetic had changed and altered to a certain extent. And suddenly now we have new kinds of materials. We have new thought processes about aesthetic and what that really meant. There was things taking place, a lot of of what you see in some of those shapes has to do with what was taking place with um, uh, space travel Mm -hmm. and the the excitement of having, you know, shapes that were um, aerodynamic. That kind of thing was part of it. Exactly. Because that's what I picture. Or rocket shapes. Like the kidney-shaped coffee. Rocket shapes. All of that was all coming out. I mean, cars were part of that as well. When you think about the shapes of cars with the fins and on the fronts, on the hood ornaments, they'd be jets and that kind of thing. So... That, that's really some of what took place with mid-century modern. A lot of what we see is related to that. Um, but it, in modern, is just the word that's used in conjunction with mid-century uh, relative to th- those particular designs and aesthetic. So what is, like, the, do you feel like is going to be the contemporary? Because, uh, like, if you think of the modern... I picture like, yeah, the cantilevered chrome and leather chair. Right. And then mid-century, it's like the kidney-shaped coffee table or something like that. What would be like the thing from now? What is contemporary right now? Yeah. 
Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> I think that's hard. Yeah, is I think there anything it is really special going most, on out there? Most of the things, anything to do with design or art, you need to be 15, 20, 50 years later to look back and say, this made it yeah. and this didn't. Some historical so, reference, so yeah. So right now there's painters that are doing great paintings that are in the big galleries in New York and they're selling for big bucks and 20, 30 years from now, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe historically those people aren't remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, it, history is going to determine what was special about what's happening right now. Yeah. For us, I think we could look at design and to me, one of the things that's important today, and I think we're going to see a lot more of, is attention to detail. I think we're going to see a lot more really subtle embellishment that makes something special, whether it's something that allows the individual to customize the given product that they're dealing with, or it's something that um, it's just a, a special material, a mix of materials. We're seeing a lot more of that today, and I think that's going to be something that we'll be experiencing right now, mm-hmm. whether that's what somebody 50 years from now is looking at saying, here's what was shaken in you know 2017. Here's what was important. One thing I feel like I've seen that has changed a lot with the time or with technology, and maybe technology doesn't fit into this, but... I don't know. I'm just going to talk it out and you tell me if it does. Lighting. Because I feel like the lighting that's being designed right now with all the different kinds of bulbs and the LED and when you go to uh, like the Milan Furniture Fair and the light, like a, a chandelier, it doesn't have bulbs. It has like tiny, tiny, tiny little bead lights all in it and that gives you this beautiful glow. Like that would that count as contemporary, or is that just sort of like mm, technology? No, I think it would count as contemporary. If you and and certainly technology, if you relate it to lighting as an example, th- that's driven a lot of what's going on with designs to begin with. So um, back in the when was the seventies, uh, Richard Sapper designed the Tizio lamp, and in order to make that light work with that little tiny Karen's head. Googling yeah, I don't know what that looks Google. like. I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. Um, there had to be a little tiny bulb that would give off enough light to make mm-hmm. this a task lamp that actually functioned. Today, you can go to any um, perfume counter or something where they're doing makeup, that kind of thing, and they're all over the place utilizing this little tiny bulb. So did but they it was develop the, technology. the bulb just for his in, lamp? In this instance, I, I don't really quite remember. If, we, if we've Googled it, we could look up <laughs> yeah. and see what it is. But mm-hmm. I feel like he wanted to do this little tiny headed lamp mm-hmm. and consequently say, well, we got to come up with a bulb that will work for that. And that technology then drove tons of lighting from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And now we're seeing there's all these new bulbs that are out there, new ways to bulbs in terms of their size and what kind of light they give off. And I think we're going to see a a surge in changes of what goes on with lighting design in order to accommodate what we all want in the end the bulbs to be. It was was painful to get started in it, but in the end, this is where we're going to be, and it's that's a good thing. That's good. What kind of bulbs do you have in your lamps? 
But I mean, lighting is a very personal, personal issue. And we talk about it a lot, you know, getting the lighting right in a room. What do you have? People are hoarding certain kinds of bulbs because they're going to be illegal. I, 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 I currently have three or four cases of 40 40 watt bulbs because I like the color that they give off. Mm-hmm. And can you I, buy those anymore? Because they're going down you can't, in wattage. You can't buy them anymore. You can't buy so the when did you buy them? When well, they used to, yeah, like oh, I mean, five years ago, did you just stock up or like? Yeah, was it, it was probably four or five years ago. Yeah, so <laughs> and now, in truth, now four or five years ago, if you bought a, the current bulb that was out there, it was this screwball blue, blue. color, <laughs> and now you actually they're expensive, but you can actually buy a bulb that has the right color for what you'd want that 40-watt bulb to be. So eventually I'll burn through those 40 watts. They don't last <laughs> that long. Forced. But it um, is. I which mean, is the point, right? i got to say, because I'm going to give an example. I have a ton of, in my house, a ton of um, recessed lighting in the ceiling. And um, my husband will replace the bulbs for me because he's tall. And They're a different color than the other ones. Well, yeah. I just went up in the guest bathroom the other day, and over the tub, two had burned out, and he'd replaced them. And I walked in there, and I turned on the light, and basically I started screaming. You know, like, oh, my God, Joe, what is this? <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking about, insane lady? And I was like, these are blue. The light's blue. Look at this. Look at this. And he was like, okay, look, I don't know what you're talking about. But, I mean, like, clearly the light coming out of those two cans was yeah. blue and all the other things in the room was this pretty golden soft right. color and when you see the difference you can, how can you live with that blue it just makes you look dead mm. i think it's cuz the like sun like the fluorescence in an office Make it look more like the sun. Yeah, make it look natural. That's yeah. what you want. Because right. if you guys have blue bulbs anywhere in your house, go change them right now, and you're going to be amazed at how much prettier you and your house look. I think. That's <laughs> oh, my it, personal the, obsession. The color of the light is the whole thing. If you have the wrong color, it does not look good. Right. And it can make... I mean, everyone's obsessed with their wall paint color and everything, but right. the light bulbs in your room can totally change yeah. right. your wall color. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my next question it. was the difference between and what makes an antique versus a vintage item. Mm. 100 years. So antiques it, are yeah. antiques. It has to be 100 years or older to be an antique. Anything else is vintage. There you go. There well, you we go. should probably back this up with the fact that we just toured Phil's house. Mm-hmm. And your house was built in 1909? Correct. And it is an antique. It is an antique, <laughs> officially. Did you celebrate its birthday? Did you, did I think you have a we, cake? We talked about the fact that it was old, but I don't remember having a celebration of that. <laughs> you should have a hun- you should have had a hundredth birthday. Okay, in two years, you can have 110. Listen, we spend plenty <laughs> on that house as it is. We don't need to be giving it a party. <laughs> and so. you've been in that house how long? 40 years. And you're the second family that's lived in that house. Correct. It's amazing. We were very lucky. It's amazing. If there's any woodwork in that house that's painted, Zoe and I, my wife, we we painted it because everything was the exposed wood um, when we bought the house. The only thing we did was take off tons and tons of wallpaper. (laughs) Ah. And it was was 
granny wallpaper. So that's cool again now. Now yeah. you're like, oh, I wish yeah. I had that floral wallpaper. Well, hmm, the floral wallpaper today has a black background as an example, and this was all baby blue or something like that. So it wasn't quite what today is. What everybody says it all comes back, but the reality it comes back slightly different. different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, you can't really hold you can't hold on to those bell bottoms because. They're not cut not the same be quite way. Right. right. Yeah. That's so true. But your home is filled with, it's a craftsman bungalow. Yes. Right? I don't want to get any words wrong because <laughs> he will correct you. Good. The professor will. Good. I want to be corrected. But it's filled top to bottom, like with these beautiful found things. Like clearly, you and your wife love the hunt. And we like the hunt. And spend a lot of time finding very particular beautiful things that you couldn't you couldn't go out and shop and fill a house to make it look like your house. Well, first, I don't you think. have to be doing it for 40 years. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. I mean, every nook and cranny and corner, not, it doesn't look quartery. I don't mean it like that at all. Every nook and cranny and corner, every object is so special and... Uh, has a story, I think. You know, when we were ooing and aahing around it, you were like, well, that's this, and that's the thing, and right. that's blah, 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 blah. And, okay, how do you know all that? <laughs> how do you know when you go out looking at the flea market, oh, because I'll go with you. You and I have gone to Brimfield or right. whatever before, and I love it because you'll walk me around and go, Karen, let me tell you about this thing. You know what this is? This is Victorian hair. This is literally a dead lady's hair, and it's put made into, into jewelry. This, made into jewelry, and I'm like creepy, and you're like it's awesome, and I collect it, and I'm like okay, <laughs> and then you'll be like okay, you know what this is? This is tramp art, and this is from when there were a lot of homeless people roaming the country, and I would get I think they called them hobos, right. homeward bound. That's what hobo right. stands for, which I think you taught me. Um, <laughs> See? And they would carve cigar boxes and make these layered pieces of boxes or mirrors or whatever, and that's why they call it tramp art. Um, but how do you learn all that? Well, it's it all started when Zoe and I were in school in Syracuse, New York. And Zoe's his wife. Zoe yes, is his wife. I think of, I would uh, that. How many years? 43 years. 43 years. Um, <laughs> and part of our entertainment was to go to auctions. Um, it just so happens that um, Syracuse is close to a town called Manlius, and that's the birthplace of craftsman furniture. And so we saw lots of furniture that at that time we were in graduate school we couldn't afford to be buying all that furniture but we learned a lot because they would hold up things at the auctions and explain exactly what it was and if we were interested in that we'd do a little more digging and probing about it one on thing yeah. ha, ha. Uh -huh, uh -huh, <laughs> on google now we actually used a dictionary what? Uh, <laughs> an encyclopedia um so the other, I was thinking about this concept of going and, and looking at antiques and going to places to, to try to figure out what's good and what's not good. And part of it is talking to the dealers. You, you have to talk to the dealers. It's their stuff. They invested in it. They know what it is. They know where it came from. They know what its value is. 
And just you just want to talk to them. You want to ask them, what is this? Where did it come from? What's the story behind it? What it's what's its provenance? And they are more. I mean, they're in the business. Right, they've they, got a passion. They're they more than it. happy to talk about it. So Phil. How do I avoid looking like a rube when I'm going in to talk to a dealer? I don't want them to take advantage of me and sell me something that isn't authentic. All right, All right but it, here's the deal. If you're if you're looking at something you're assuming is an antique and you like it, you love it, you want to own it, they tell you what they want for it, you do a little light negotiation, it, it doesn't really matter whether it's real or there's been some manipulation it doesn't matter what its actual provenance is if you like it you you want to own it Mm -hmm. you want it in your house you feel like you'll like it for a long period of time then it's worth that it's not like it's not like these are investments right it's not like we're going to have a Sotheby's auction of our home when we die so in the end i mean mean, you might (laughs) (laughs) no i just have very big yard sales. We heard, and we're mad that we don't know about it. <laughs> Can't tell um, everyone on this. Oh, yeah, never mind. He does not have yard sales. <laughs> anyway, um, I, it's like, I mean, there's people that collect art. Well, unless you're very wealthy, you're not buying stuff as an investment right. to it's know, well, I'll turn this in five years and make a million bucks. That's not, I mean, you buy art that you like. That you connect mm-hmm. with. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. Uh-huh. And I think the same thing with, with antiques or vintage furniture or whatever. If you look at it, you feel like it's going to serve the function that you want it to serve for you. It's going to fit within the mix of what your house is. Uh, then it in the end, all of the, is it really 100 years old? Is it really this? That? I don't think any of that really matters. It's, it's If you love it, buy it. Well, even when we were on, you were, you and I went on the last um, antique buying trip to France. And I yes. talked about that, I think, on our first episode. Mm-hmm. Remember that story? I told a story about us trying to buy those Art Deco upholster chairs right. and negotiating with them. Right. And we were like, all right, it's it's 2,000 euro. We still have like 3,000 in our budget. Should we get them? We're like negotiating, talking on the <laughs> side. And Carmen's like, I think they're saying... 300 euros, <laughs> not 3,000. We're like, yes. oh, t- we'll take it. Yeah, it's anyway. that speaking French part yeah. that we're not that <laughs> So we're that super good savvy. <laughs> we're the country rubes. Yeah, like we are the goods. American rubes. Um, but what was my point there? Um, mm, oh, I know. So when we're over there looking for things um, to bring back and create product around or based on, or it could be a million things we're looking at. We're going to look at finish right. or style or... Um, shape, proportion, that kind of thing. But we're not particularly super careful about it being pure. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, there's no, right. There's no question that, it. there's no question that uh, much of the things that we buy uh, have been manipulated. Have been tinkered with, Right. Yeah. Somehow, you know, if you actually looked on the inside of it, well, somebody's rebuilt the inside of that and the outside is in fact the, the, the aspect of the antique or refinished or, or it's been yes there's a lot of things that had a an exposed wood finish and now they've been painted to look a certain way because that's what everybody wants to buy yeah, and so they paint it gray or off-white and they know they'll be able to sell it that way and for us we're looking at the lines of it we're looking at a particular finish we're looking at um a shape and so 
Doesn't we're matter, we're right? not that concerned about it. And it, I mean, we've got plenty of stuff that I think is great looking. And if you want to own it, you own it. And if you don't, then don't. Well, it's sort of like what you're talking about. Like when Ballard goes and I say we buy because I'm not It's there, the but, royal we. But yeah, the mm-hmm. royal we. We buy things the way you're saying people should buy their antiques, which is yes. don't worry about Yes. Whether it's real or not, just buy it because you like it, and right. they do the same thing. And then I, I think slowly, if if this is something you're interested in and intrigued with, slowly but surely you start learning a lot about what it is you're looking at. Mm-hmm. You've talked with the dealers. You've seen lots of things, and pretty soon you're able to be more discerning about what it is you want or recognizing the things that are going to mark that object as being what you are being told it is or what you think it is. Um, but, you know, part of it is just looking at the object itself. You're opening the drawers. How is that drawer constructed? Um, you're looking at the back of the piece. How are those panels cut and put into the back? Um, so what should we be looking for if we're looking at, like, an old wooden piece? Like dovetail drawers? Certainly like- how that drawer was constructed is a massive aspect of what would be involved in something that was a fairly early piece. Um, in order to, the, the, the use of glue and things in um, centuries past was very different than the use today. Today, you could probably glue a piece up and not have any fastening material at all. The glue would hold it all together. Well, in the end, 150 years ago, you would have need other things to put that together. So a dovetail drawer would be very important to make sure that drawer was going to last the way it was supposed to. And so you can look for those kind of details and see whether or not it has that. It's going to tell you a bit about how that was made. And you can look at how the dovetail was cut. You can, without any extra information, I can tell you, you could look at dovetail that was done by machine and dovetail that was done by hand, you'd see the difference. It's very obvious. It's not and as exact. It's not as exact. Right. You'll you'll literally see pencil lines where it got marked oh, cool. in order to do the cutting, <laughs> um, and it was all cut with a with a very special saw yeah. meant to cut that kind of shape. So those are the kind of things you'd want to be looking at. And like I say, just the more you look, the more you talk, the more questions you ask. The, it's all going to, you're going to start absorbing that information. And then we'll become like you, the furniture whisperer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite designer? Right now. Furniture? Furniture designer? I, w- I was going to say furniture designer, and then my next question was artist. Because okay. that's all it comes yeah. from. Um, the the guy that I'm sort of obsessed with right now is uh, somebody named Garo, if I pronounce his name correctly. Kid. Kedijian, I Ooh, think Google is what. It. How do you spell it? K K E D I G I A. Is he Swedish? I don't think so. He K-E-D-I-G-I-N? was K E D I G I N. I think that's what it is. Well, Taryn, our Ger- official. Garo is his first name. <laughs> Research he's, expert. He's Canadian. Does a lot of work in New York, and um, I just really like. The, what is it about it? The use of color, the use of textures. There's a lot of lacquered walls and lacquered ceilings. Is this an interior like designer yeah, or a furniture yeah. designer? Oh, interior okay. Interior designer. Sorry, oh, okay. sorry, sorry. Okay, cool. So have you not found this yet? 
Well, you probably spelled it wrong, Phil. Duh. If you put in Garrow K, I can promise you. How many mm-hmm. Garrow? How do you spell Garrow? G A R R O W. Oh, okay. I thought it was like the French way. Oh, I think I Is it Garrow K design? We have already established that we don't speak French, so. That's true. How many euro? I'll take it. <laughs> Sky's the limit. Oh my God, we can't afford that. <laughs> what about your favorite artist? Hey, wait, uh, I wait. Now I am talking over you, <laughs> Phil. You were trained as a painter. You yes. have a couple degrees in painting. I, I, that is your I, whole life. I, I thing. have a bachelor's and master's degree in painting. It's been extremely, <laughs> extremely useful for my career. <laughs> it's been career. a great career. <laughs> So it did train um, your eye, I bet. Who, yeah, yeah. So favorite painter. Is this a current painter or ever no, of all time? Uh, for me, ever of all time okay. is Jasper Johns. Ah, there you go. So, I feel like you've told me that before. I probably have. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just there's something about his thought process about an image and what that image means and how it how you'd paint that image. Um, I think all of of what he does related to that is is very interesting. So, do you feel like have. your um, training as a painter has influenced your? Because you basically are a major influence in the design process of our all of our product. I was going to say furniture, but it's really everything. So, do you feel like uh, your training as a painter has somehow trained your eye or helped give you a leg up in this career you have now? Because right now you're. I mean, we design 85% of everything we sell. So all of that falls into your department. So it's furniture and it's accessories and it's lighting and all of that. Has has being trained as a painter helped train your eye in some way? Well, I, strictly as a painter, maybe, but I think as an, as an artist, as a visual person, I certainly think that that's had a big role in, in how I see things and how I approach things. Um, and even when we were touring the house and I'd say, well, I'll, I, I built this or I changed this or I did this out of the other, it's, it was being trained as an artist that causes you to have to know how to build things. I mean, you, you're going to build your own canvases, you're going to stretch mm-hmm. your own, so you're going to, all of that has to be done by you because you can't afford for somebody else to do it. And so you learn a lot about tools and about materials and how to put two things together. And I think I've used a lot of that in, in terms of furniture design, in terms of um, what direction colors can go and stains can go for different things we're doing with furniture. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's played an important role for me. Mm-hmm. Well, so your house, we walked through it, and we actually have a tour on the blog, so you can, if you're curious, you can go see it. Um, but your style, I would say, is very different from what the Ballard style is. So how do you critique in a constructive way furniture that maybe is not something you would buy, but just to make it the best that it can be? You know what I mean? Kind of like how you're saying sure. about the... Well, first of all, I've been in, involved in retail for a very long time. So I, I recognize that there's things that customers are going to be interested in and want to buy that aren't necessarily things that fit with my own aesthetic because their likes and desires are different than mine, which is fine. Um, but I've been doing it a long time, so I can kind of look and say, oh, this mm-hmm. this will work. Um, this is something that people will be intrigued with. Um, and then I've been at Ballard for 14 years, so 
um, I, I feel like I'm, I've learned a little bit about what the Ballard customer is intrigued with and what, what direction mm-hmm. she might want to go next. And um, I, we're not all, as merchants, we're not always right, but we're, we're right a good percentage I mean, 30% of the time. 30% of the time is a success, <laughs> yeah. good success rate. But yes. I guess, you know, I, I feel like good design is good design, right? Proportion is universal. Like, you know, if you get scale right and you, you know, maybe maybe we like dry finishes or maybe we like a painted wood or maybe we like a, a pastel palette or something at Ballard. Right. Um, I mean, it changes, you know, year to year, but good design is good design. Good design is good design. And in the end, you can, you can tell that it's good design because as we were describing earlier, it, it has lasted. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, we've got very strong selling, new chairs that have a real kind of a mid-century modern kind of feel about them tell it um Uh oh you can't remember phil can't remember we'll help you with the name of it It, it's it's the is it that woven chair yeah bailey Bailey Bailey. the bailey the bailey chair so that chair is actually doing quite nicely and it has a real mid-century modern look to it it feels real laid back and has it's a combination of materials it's not modern it's not modern. <laughs> so there's that chair. We're doing well with it. The Ballard customer likes it, but simultaneously we have a chair that's a design that's 270-something years old. The Louis the, the Louis the 16th, 16th chair. We're sitting in right now. Oh, yeah, we're sitting yeah, in them right now. We certainly are. Louis chairs. And, I mean, this is a very old design, and yet you put the right finish on it, you put the right fabric on it, and it's suddenly hot. It's Mine's contemporary. Lacquer. Yes, yours are lacquer. lacquer. You She's cutting her chair. I am. Neutral, <laughs> neutral fabric on it that goes I know, with that everything's neutral gray. lacquer. Yeah, well, gray's hot. Mm-hmm. So. It is in my house because there's nothing else. <laughs> no, gray is hot right now. So. so I want to talk a little bit about furniture, our furniture specifically, or, well, I guess just like the modern way of making furniture because you – share at our company-wide meetings that we have where we're sort of introducing new pieces so much information and i feel like it's helpful for everyone to know so like talk about maybe the new construction of pieces like what do you mean new construction caroline like okay i feel like i read all the time people poo-pooing mdf oh like mdf is like a big i feel like it's kind of not taboo because that's not really well because people think oh it's not real wood yes. so it's not so it's good poorly made right but why do we use mdf right. so well talk about it well first of all if you think why about do most people use mdf if you think about products that were made out of solid wood you could buy something that was very inexpensive very cheap made out of solid wood or you could buy something very beautiful very expensive gorgeously crafted out of solid wood but that doesn't make the solid wood bad. Um, so yeah, you can buy products from companies that have real low quality. It's made out of MDF, which and stands so for medium density, density fiberboard. So you, you didn't know that? She's <laughs> no, I knew that. I've been to one of the factories where they made it. 
so you can you can manufacture a product out of MDF that's that's inexpensive, that's not built well, that's not designed well, and there's lots of that product out there. And so suddenly there's a bad rap for MDF. We use MDF the way a lot of manufacturers of better quality furniture use MDF, and that's because it is so perfectly smooth on the surface that if we do a veneer, Mm -hmm. there's no registration of knots and Mm -hmm. other things that are going to color that it's going to come up through the veneer. It has a stability that you're not going to get with solid wood. Solid wood is going to expand both in its length and its width. It Mm -hmm. always will. And all that movement causes damage to the finish. It causes damage to the relationship of two pieces of, of wood put together. Like warping? Is that what you warping, mean? Warping. Just literally, it, it, the, the, where, where a piece is painted or finished, two pieces put together, they're both going to change directions, change size, hmm. and when they come back together, now there's a separation in the finish where that growth, if you will, took place. So are you, like a crack? A crack. Okay. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly. I need you to speak English. To sorry. There's, suddenly, there's a separation between these two pieces. It, it is going to crack and warp. So can um, MDF not crack or warp? No, it will not. It is so stable because it doesn't have a direction to it. It is all it have one. A grain like wood. Yeah. Right. There's no front to back, side to side. It is all one material because of the way it's manufactured. It's much heavier than wood, though. So it's made it's made with resins and wax combined with um, very fine uh, wood particles, and that's what gives it this density. And because of that, it is in fact mm-hmm. usually heavier than you would see with a normal wood piece of the same scale. Yeah. So, so if you what pick is up like the a difference? dining table or something? It would feel heavier. Yes. So, is the density what separates like a low grade from a high grade? Oh, MDF. Like, of it, the MDF. It, it or has what is more. It? it has more to do with how the piece has been finished off. So for gotcha. us, the, the edges of the MDF aren't as stable as the surface itself, the flat surface, and because of that, we like to have a solid wood band that runs around the surface of the piece, around the perimeter, rather, and that way we don't have to worry about edge damage on pieces. Like dents if you bang it. Right. If you bang it, it it, it can dent very easily. So we use the solid wood around the edge, and then veneers get put on top of that. You don't see that that difference between the MDF and that solid wood. But that's made a significant difference in the longevity of the pieces that we sell. So anything that you touch or feel or experience with your own hand would be wood, and then the MDF is underneath. The MDF is keeping underneath. Keeping it stable. And the MDF is normally used. Most, in truth, most cabinet makers today are all using MDF because it, it there's so few problems by using that material. Even the way that they construct things is completely different. So if you're using MDF to do a framed door panel, you would put it on a CNC router and literally cut out an opening in an object, and now you have the frame, and then you put the panel in behind it. When you construct in a typical style-built 
framed door, you've got four sticks that get put together. The potential for those to separate is pretty strong um, while you're living with this object. And then you have to float the panel to make sure that it doesn't shrink and expand and therefore crack. It's that the panel itself could crack or separate from the rest of the frame. None of that happens with MDF. Okay. Does that, does that help at all? Yeah. You, you seem, <laughs> your eyes are opening like, what? <laughs> well, because I feel like when you, people always say like, oh, things aren't made like they used to be. And, you know, people always kind of talk about MDF like, oh, you don't want that. I don't know. I, I'm just fascinated to learn that there are different grades. And to me, it was all just one I think it I think it has mostly to do with how you're handling that material. In the same way I was describing before, it you you can build something out of solid Mm -hmm. wood and do a really bad job of it. Right. Or you can build a beautiful object out of solid wood. It doesn't make the solid wood bad. Yeah. Um, and with MDF, yeah, you can build some, you know, really kind of trashy stuff if you want to. I mean there's certain uses for everything, right? right, So It's used when it's appropriate to make an object more stable. If we made a dining table out of which we have out of solid wood, all it's the legs, warp. all the legs, all the apron, everything that is that shape or size is going to be made out of solid wood. The top is going to be MDF because with a veneer, we don't, with a with veneer a over it, veneer on top and it's going to and it's going to have a perimeter of solid wood. And we're going to do that to make sure that that table stays beautifully flat its entire life. Gotcha. Okay, I feel like that example really helped me yeah, understand. Yeah, there are reasons. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. not. It's not, it's not like not we're like building MDF entire products MDF out of MDF. It's not cheaper than wood. It isn't. Sometimes it's more expensive it's than a, wood. Depending on what you're using oh. and how you're using it, it certainly could be. And the veneers, right? Expensive too. Yeah. yeah so so it's why was one just use? building a piece for stability and longevity? Mm-hmm. It's technology. Why do you I, use a veneer? Well, because oh. you want to have pretty you, wood on because you're like staining if you're it, stain it. Or yeah, you don't want to have you want have a, you want to yeah. have a grain because you don't want it to be this flat, you know, n- no embellished surface at all on it. You want to be able to to do different kinds of colorations on it. So, things that are going right now is having. Um, dry wood finishes that some white or lighter color has been rubbed back through the grain and it gives it a completely different kind of look. You wouldn't be able to do any of that with Which is straight just MDF. straight up yeah. MDF. You know that trend you've seen lately, the burl wood? Mm-hmm. And you can bookmark it because they can take the tree slices and so you can get this Explain amazing. What that is. You're acting out with your hands, but people can't see it. What bookmarking it means. When they take and slice the veneer of the tree. Tell me if I'm wrong, Phil. No, you're right. Um, You can then take the pattern of that grain and like a book. You Mm -hmm. can. It's a mirror image, and you can then make this amazing pattern using the veneers and placing them different directions because the Mm -hmm. grain has a direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, that was you only need you know an eighth of an inch of that to make that beautiful surface. Mm-hmm. Of that burl or of anything. So, like, if we're looking at my dining table right here, I have a table from Lorenzo, who Lorenzo. was on a prior I podcast. And this, I have had many fires on this table, so the surface <laughs> is um, marred. It's, you know, it has... Should we a, talk about the many fires for a second? I haven't, we haven't talked about that you before. You talked about 
No fires. Like you talked about the I would have thought that the first fire would have taught you a lesson. <laughs> I know, right? You'd think, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, as they say. Um, but the, I did say to Lorenzo one time, I'm like, Lorenzo, I kind of had a fire on my table, hoping he would be like, oh, I'll replace that for you. No. No. no I'm he was like, you're an idiot. He's like, you know, you can sand it down. So this is my point. Even though this table... Um, which I'm assuming inside, because I'm feeling underneath, is MDF Correct. to make it stable. And it has a veneer on top. Well, when you, and it's painted. It's painted black. But I'm looking down at it, and you can see the wood grain in it. But if I did want to sand it down and lightly, right, right, I could do that. I yes. could sand this down. There's going to be wood under there. I could refinish it. Although I am thinking about taking it to the auto shop and mm-hmm. having them spray cool. it like an eggplant color. Oh, Sorry, I'm did, digressing. Yeah. Well, well, olive well, green, I that the, was the color, Taryn, yeah, you were talking about. Olive green. Okay, olive green. sorry. Well, I have the perfect example where I learned this lesson in real life where I had designed a table in school, and it was getting shipped out to Vegas. Um, for what? For a show. And What's was a happening in show. Vegas? AWFS? I oh, was a furniture show. Yeah. Okay. So I had to send my table, so we had to create it and everything, but before slicked it down you know tons of layers of finish that i perfectly anyway it was perfect all these pieces of mahogany from an old church pew that i had taken and cut and fixed together anyway point of the story is it went out to vegas it came back and it was pieced together the top you could feel every crease between every piece that i had laminated together and spent so much time finishing perfectly, but because of the change in humidity and the temperature and the way wood grows and shrinks, it anyway. So the point of the story is going there and back, it came back and it was all janky. Even the wood that we use, Phil, correct me or tell me or tell us, even the wood we use for all of the other bits, you know, if it's not a long, flat surface, (laughs) it's wood. Um, They have to kiln dry it in these giant kilns yes. for like a thousand days or something. What is the deal? <laughs> to right, keep, so, why do they do that and what does it do? So the wood has a, um, a, a certain amount of moisture in it um, and it, it maintains that moisture and it takes on more moisture and releases that moisture at various times um, during seasons. Well, in order to help control that, you kiln dry it and normally what takes place is all the wood is stacked in a, an enclosed um, room, if you will, and a tremendous amount of moisture is pushed into that room. So it brings the moisture content up to a really high um, percentage. And then slowly but surely, heat dries that moisture out and brings it all evenly down to a much smaller percentage. Um, we're usually looking for something in the 3 to 5% range. When it gets more than 10 or something, you're going to get a lot of, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, activity in the wood. <laughs> it's going to be doing a lot, of, right, a lot <laughs> okay. of movement. Um, so by bringing the moisture content to a certain level, it's not going to take on more, more moisture as easily as it would if it hadn't been kiln dried. Um, that, that's really the concept of doing this, is getting the moisture both consistent, even, 
and smaller. Okay, let's talk about upholstery because I was reading what we have on like a sofa page. And it, there's a lot of confusing jargon in there that I want you to explain to us. All right, we talked jargon? about kiln dried, so mm-hmm. I feel like we're good on that. Oh, okay, yeah, we did talk about kiln dried. Um, yes. But talk about springs, hand tied, and then like cushions, how are they manufactured, and like all that. I want to we back that. up a little bit before we get into that. Because let me just go here, Phil. How does someone know? They're getting a good piece of quality upholstery. Do we ha- Do they have to know all that stuff? Can they sit on it, touch it, and feel it? Or do they really have to investigate, this is how it's made? Let, let's talk about it this way. Because uh, I, I, upholstery is one of my favorite things. Good. Um, and I could talk about it for a long time. And I could get into a lot of detail about Stuff that people, I mean, their their eyes are going to roll into the back detail. in their in their. No, no, it would be very boring. <laughs> but I'll we'll have a hidden podcast where just filled with talks on and on. <laughs> so <laughs> let me let me break it down to the parts that they really need to think about, or or in this instance, we've thought about as we're approaching products that we want to sell to our customers. So there's four elements to a piece of upholstery. There is mm-hmm. four. There is the frame, there is the suspension, there is the cushions and padding, and then there is what's referred to in the industry, the cover, meaning the fabric. Those are the major elements of what you use to build a piece of upholstery. And it starts the design, the look, and the comfort all start with the frame. If the frame's not built correctly, won't be comfortable. And that's the piece that's kiln dried. That's the the wooden frame. There's there's certain frames that use some steel as well, but the wooden frame that creates this skeleton, this foundation of the piece of upholstery is kiln dried hardwood. And it's either solid wood that's sometimes referred to as stick built. Or it's you. We, we use engineered wood, which, if you looked at it, you'd say, "Well, this looks like plywood," but it's not plywood. You could go over to the, your local hardware store and buy. It's a very specialized seven ply wood that's used specifically to manufacture upholstery. Um, the beauty of having this type of material used is that because it's plies, each layer is in an opposite direction of um, the ones on either side of it. And that gives it a tremendous amount of stability. Say that again? So is that sort of like um, MDF a little bit? It's sort of like MDF a little bit. So what happens is real wood and it's cut in thinner sheets and then they're laminated together. And each Piece, each one of those layers is running the opposite direction. Oh, so it's like a pen grain. four. Oh, that makes so much sense. So the grain goes side the grain to side, goes side to side, mm-hmm. right so you to get left, more strength. front to oh. back. The next one, so, right to left. The I'm next one, front so to back. That gives us tremendous amount of strength as it attempts mm-hmm. to expand or contract. It can't because its buddies 
are going the opposite direction. And so it's a much more stable material. The other is for the manufacturing of a product like that, because of the kind of technology and tools that people use using CNC routers, these are computer generated tools, they can take a sheet of this material and have all the parts cut out by pushing a button as opposed to having to somebody to inventory all these little tiny parts, inventory the raw wood to make those parts, inventory the ones that have all been put together. This way, they decide they want to make a particular piece of upholstery. They just take one of these sheets and cut all the parts out. We utilize both methods, stick built as well as the CNC using this engineered wood. And they both have particular qualities that we use depending on what the piece is and what the the actual shape is going to be. That decision really has to do with what the end results are going to be for the piece. So, so, But kiln-dried hardwood is what you want it to be. So if Taryn, who's in product design, designs this product and it has certain lines or quality, then from that design you'll decide it needs to be stick or it needs to be this seven-plot. What? More often than not, it's going to be the actual manufacturer that we're using because gotcha. their factory is structured to use a particular method. And so if we assign that piece to go to this manufacturer or that manufacturer, that's what's going to determine how it's going to get built. Okay, so then the second is suspension. Hold on. We're not, oh, sorry. We're we're not done with the frame yet. Okay, so yeah. it's the skeleton of the beast. Okay. It literally is what's going to give the general shape of what this product's going to be. But it also creates the pitch, the relationship dun, dun, of dun. the seat the to the back. And the pitch is what makes the piece comfortable. You can spring it and cushion it till the cows come home. If the pitch isn't correct, long term, it won't be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So the, the, uh, design, right away. the design and the comfort starts at the frame. And when we're designing product, we are in the manufacturers saying, don't like the pitch. We need to move this in, back, over, whatever it might be to make the pitch what it needs to be in order to be as comfortable as we want this given chair. If it's a dining chair, it has a particular kind of pitch because you want to sit up at the table. But if it's an occasional table, an occasional chair, in the living room, you want it to be more comfortable. You want to sit back into it. And so it has a different kind of pitch. Sort of loungy. Well, I will, I'm just going to interject. I know you're on a roll, and I'm loving it. Good. But <laughs> I'm thrilled. But I can't tell you how many times uh, you'll, you can walk around our office, and you'll see various and sundry people sitting in chairs with like three or four people standing around them looking at them going well how does it feel what do you think what do you, are you comfortable are your feet on right. the floor it's like it's like the city one person's doing the work everybody else is watching uh-huh. and then everyone <laughs> takes turns and we right. talk about it and you know it's like well i'm this height and i'm right. that height and is it comfortable for me and my how long are my legs and uh, yeah, oh, there's, there's a, a lot of discussion. Well, we were describing this earlier. I am one of very few males in the in the crew of merchants, and therefore it's, you know, how I sit in it and how um, all these women sit in it and how they feel, how you know, whether their heels are touching the ground when they're sitting in the chair mm-hmm. or the sofa, whatever it might be. There's a lot, a lot of discussion. And it's about, not just upholstered items. I will point out, like, yes. we do the same thing with 
all the outdoor chairs, yes. all the outdoor sofas, all that. You know, the same kind of like, all right, I'm sitting in this. I'm going to sit in this. And we all, we really believe you're going to sit in an outdoor dining chair longer than right. you sit in an indoor and dining so chair. so in our mind, the dining chair you use in your formal um, dining room is going to have a different pitch than the one that you're using as a dining chair out on your patio because you're going to sit there and watch the fireflies. Yeah. (laughs) You might be doing some other stuff too, but. (laughs) All right. A little Prosecco. Okay. All right. So, okay. So I interrupt. So So do we ever not make a furniture because the pitch isn't right? Like what if you fix it? Oh no, we fix it. You fix it. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So you feel like if we are selling it, the pitch is spot on. It, it, if it makes yes. it to our there's no there's catalog. no reason to sell it if the pitch isn't right because yeah. the customers okay. it's be I, awful. I want somebody to, to be sitting in a chair five years later and say boy this is comfortable and if the pitch isn't right it won't be okay you don't go to restaurants and you'll sit down oh. and maybe every now and then you're like what I'm oh, so what is this right. right I feel you get That's fatigue in your lower back or in your yeah. fanny and you're like why do I have fanny fatigue and you're like right. oh because this chair isn't right. It so looks real good, but it's not It all right. starts with the frame. So okay. next, you have the suspension. The suspension is some sort of spring system. It has one function and only one. It's to suspend you <laughs> in the pitch. <laughs> so complicated. <laughs> yeah. That's its function. Now... You know, somebody's grandmother is going to tell you, oh, well, it has to be eight-way hand-tied or it's not quality product. Quality. Quality. <laughs> so. I take you, it based on your the way you're phrasing that. <laughs> so, well, here, here's, here's the problem. Um, in 1930, you needed to have eight-way hand-tie because the cushions that sat on top of the deck which is where the suspension system is located. The cushions were not that good. You know, they might have been all the technology wasn't horse awesome. hair, or they might have mm-hmm. been feathering down and nothing else. And the technology was such that you, in order to get some spring to it, if you will, like that word, um, in order to feel comfortable in it, you had to ride in that pitch, and it was going to take eight-way hand tied to do that. But what does eight-way hand tied mean? So that's a helical coil. What does that mean? Helical means it's... It, this is going to be like a nine-hour episode. It <laughs> runs. Like, What's that mean? What's She's that already mean? falling run. asleep in her car. <laughs> She's like, I get it. Just tell me what Lucky I need to know. It's not this long, Hel- Helical coil just means it's round. It goes okay. in a circle. Um, and what ends up happening is these helical coils are attached to a part of the framework at the bottom, mm-hmm. and then they are compressed to a certain point, mm-hmm. and then they are all tied one to each neighbor eight times. So oh, they're tied to the to front, other to the right, the front, to the back, to the right, to the left. It's so technology has intervened. Yes. But but what's interesting is that, yes, there's technology that's intervened in terms of the suspension system, but the reason why we've been able to have different kinds is because of what goes on with the cushions. Oh. The technology of the cushions has made it so that all the suspension system does today 
is hold you in that pitch. So That's if you have a great style. quality cushion. It's the cushion okay. is what's going to make it comfortable or not comfortable in that sense. Before, the cushion had barely anything in it. It was either feather down or mm-hmm. horse hair or whatever. And so you needed the springs to actually help cushion what you were sitting in. Today, mm-hmm. the there's polyurethane foam, which is the foundation. Wait, are we on number will. three now? We're, we're on, on number three. three. Okay. We're on the cushions. Um, the polyurethane foam is the foundation, if you will. That's the structure of the given um, cushion or the padding that's on there. And that's usually wrapped in something that is softer and, uh, and gives a, a, a very cushioned appearance to what it is. It gives it an initial softness because you there, there's different qualities of foam in terms of the actual resistance of the foam. So mm-hmm. you could build a cushion that looked like a brick, but would be quite comfortable to sit on because it, even though it was all flat and square, the first layer of it would be a resistance that was really light. You know, it was 15, 20 pound resistance. And the cushion that it was laminated to would be a 30 or a 40 pound resistance, which would be really hard. But the initial feeling when you sat on it would be soft and then it would give you support after that. Is there well, a, the problem is that wouldn't, that wouldn't look attractive. It memory foam is a completely different thing. It would look like a brick. And so we want it to look soft. And so either polyester fiber is wrapped around it, or it might have, it might, that, that kind of cushion might be inserted into um, an envelope of feather down in order to give you, again, a soft landscaped, if you will, top and bottom to the cushion. And then you've got the foundation inside of this polyurethane foam. You, you want what would be referred to as push. In the front of the cushion, you don't want that to be flat, but it's not like you're sitting on that. Right. You want, but you want it to actually bulge out. Mm-hmm. You want it to look soft and comfortable. Well, you get that by wrapping it with something Gosh. other than what that polyurethane foam, which is just a, a, a cut flat surface. Um, it gives you the support, but you still need to have what I'm saying is called push to make it gotcha. look soft. And Technically, you're doing that over the entire surface. You want the front rail. I mean, you're not sitting on the front rail, mm-hmm. but you want that front rail to look soft, to right. look gushy, if you will. You want the arms to look that same way. You want the front of the arms to look that way. The only way you're going to get that is by putting some sort of a wrap around there that's going to push out against the fabric. Gotcha. Okay. I understand now. All right. And then we have the so fourth. fabric. Thank the fourth God. thing is the cover. Terrence, like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> the fourth. Four, <laughs> I've never learned so much before in one hour. The fourth thing. Or four hours. The fourth thing <laughs> is the cover. And the cover is whatever the fabric choice that you've made. Everybody should keep in mind that there is an effect to the comfort depending on what your choice is of fabric. So if you have a really light cotton fabric, it's going to feel a certain way when you sit on the piece. If you have a velvet, it's going to feel a different way on that same piece. If you've got leather, it's going to feel 
different again. Because the way so, it gives. The way it gives, the way it actually pulls and stretches across the surface of the cushions. So something that's, that's tighter won't give tighter, as much and might not crisper, feel as cushy. harder, okay. may not feel as cushy. Thicker, heavier, may not feel as cushy. Also, Lighter, put it thinner. against your face. Like, you know you're going to lay on your sofa, probably. Unless it's like a fancy living room sofa. Like, put that fabric next to your cheek before I think, well, Phil's making a face at me like I'm well, crazy. I'm, it, but if I'm going to lay on my family room sofa and watch television, sofa. you watch television, I've, you have chairs in your house that I'm sure you relax in. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> you stand in a corner and lean against the wall. He's I'm painting relaxed. in the studio. Um, but if you're going to have a sofa that you lay on, your face is going to touch it. I I mean, if I want it to feel soft you, against my face. Anytime you're selecting furniture to use in your home, you know how you're going to use it. So, yes, if, right, if you know she, that you're going to be laying on your sofa, then too. I'd be making sure that it felt good against my cheek. Yes. Okay, fine. Okay. I felt like it was a practical tip, which you just dissed. Is, no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm saying if you already if you go in knowing I'm gonna be laying on this, right. when Zoe and I were out buying chairs, she'd she'd sit in the chair prim and proper and say, "Well, I don't think this one's comfortable," and then I'd say, "Get up," and I get up and get in the car. I lounge. I I get down, lounged into the chair. My back leaned into the back of it because this this is how we're gonna be sitting in the chairs. We're gonna be watching TV, right. so. That's how you want to check it out, not sitting like, you know, some Victorian grandmother. So have no shame when you're in a store. Try not Oh, gosh, I would. No. Oh, no. Have no shame. <laughs> Take off your shoes. Yes. Stick them under the cushion. Yes. <laughs> Maybe okay, not one today. more product question. Yes. I remember once upon a time you were describing to us bedding thread count. And I want oh. you to give everyone a little lesson because I thought it was interesting. Because people count. do think that the higher the thread count, the higher the thread count, higher the thread count, the better the sheet. Well, to a is very to a very certain extent, that's probably true. But this is one of those things where if if his is this, then I'll make mine that, and it'll be better than his. And there's just a point where it doesn't work anymore. So the 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 quick down and dirty. Yeah. Okay. There are two sets of threads that are in, if we're going to talk about sheets and sheeting, there are the warp threads and there are the weft threads. The warp threads are the threads that are literally attached to the loom. They, they're rigid and stay in place. The weft threads are the ones that go back and forth between those warp threads okay. to build the surface that's going to be this sheet. So the thread count is the number of yarns, threads as we're describing them, the number of yarns that are in the warp and the number of yarns that are in the weft in one square inch. And so if you were if you were going to look at a piece of muslin, that that probably is going to have somewhere between 150 and 200 thread count. So if it was 200, 100 threads in the warp and 100 threads in the weft. And it's going to be, you know, a a fairly hard, crisp fabric, and it's going to be a little rough. It's not going to be real soft. When you start adding... Wait, let me ask, why? Is it because the thread that is being used is thicker? Like, why is more threads softer than fewer threads? 
there, there's two different elements to this as we're describing it. There's the actual yarns themselves, and we'll talk about that in a minute, That what that is and how it's okay. made. And then there's the count, the number of those threads. Because but air yes, isn't going to make it rougher. It's going to be rougher because the, the more that you pack in there together, the more surface and the smoother that surface is. Okay. Mm. So, so I'm so, not feeling the ridges right, between I mean, yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it, I mean, we're, it's, we're talking about a hundred threads in an inch. Yeah, I know. So even yeah. on this rough one, a hundred times a hundred, or, or rather versus a hundred, it's still going to be rough. When you get up to, um, you know, 350, 400 thread count right in there, this is a very soft, very smooth surface. Um, and that's, that's where you want the thread count to be when you're dealing with sheeting. The reality is you can only truly fit so many threads in an inch. Mm -hmm. When somebody's saying that they have a thousand thread count sheet, well, that no, they don't. But what they've done is they've they've counted the actual manufacturing of the yarns, the twist. If it was a three oh, ply a twist, thread. they're saying, oh well, it's three times one. So there. So instead of a hundred, that's three hundred times three hundred. So I've got. Well, that's not really how it works. Um, in the end, once you get past four hundred. Anything else, it's, it's, you're paying for something that has no reward to it. There's no additional value to what you're dealing with. Okay. Does the quality of the thread do right. so anything back, there? Back to the thread okay. itself. So what we use for all the sheeting we have um, for Ballard is long staple Egyptian cotton. And the longer the staple, the softer and in, in, in reality as well, the, the stronger that material is. Um, our thread counts are 195 by 195, so it's 390. It happens to be 390 because the selection we made of the manufacturer for these sheets, that's what their machines are set up to do. Wait, so, what, what does that mean, 195 by 195? 195 threads. Oh, That's oh, in the okay. warp, 195 <laughs> in the weft. So you combine those two together, and we've got 390 thread count for our, our sheets. Which are um, amazing. I'm giving them a shout-out. They're very, I have them on very, every bed in my house. And the other thing that goes on with this is, is what the kind of weave is that mm -hmm. goes on. And so um, we have um, a percale weave is what we use and that would be you could call that a plain weave it's like a basket weave that kind of thing it's the threads are literally over under over under all the way across the surface that plain weave um that is called percale in the mm -hmm. instance of talking about sheeting it allows a lot of breathability so it's cool in the summer it's also warm in the winter because of the way that's woven they're smoother crisper um, they don't wrinkle as badly as they would if they were other kinds of weaves um, so it's the it's the weave, it's the yarn, and then it's the actual thread count itself. But there's a point where you, there's just no way you can get that many yarns in there in the end. Physically impossible. Physically impossible. And, and it's, it's just... what they're using for the twist that they're 
they're utilizing that twist and saying that's the thread count when that's not how anybody that was actually controlling that was saying that's really what's going on. Okay. And then if not, you rub your face on it like Karen does. <coughs> exactly. Right. Feel it with your face and then you'll know that you love our sheets because I've told the story about Joe Mooney. I bought a pair of our sheets. I stuck them on the bed. I didn't tell him. He came home that night and he got in bed. He's like, what are, what, what are these sheets? These are great. I love them. I'm like, these are our new sheets. He's like, get more of those. <coughs> so I did. To do our customer dilemma. You're not done. Yet. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, I, have I, to, oh, yeah. I have to actually help. Okay. The first one says, My decorating dilemma. Oh, wait, who's it from? Catherine. Catherine. Um, my decorating dilemma is that we live in a 1910s house that is has a central bathroom with no windows. The bathroom serves as both our primary powder room for the living space and also our guest bathroom. The bathroom is arranged with a toilet, vanity area, and a powder room area with a shower area behind separated by a wall and glass door. The shower itself is quite car- cavernous. Cavernous? Like a cavern. Big and giant. Like a but big it's behind. Cave. Okay. Like so it must cave. not be light. It yes. must feel dark. We're her. getting ready to do a full renovation of the space, and I'm looking for ways to make the space feel lighter and brighter while keeping the space period appropriate. I should mention a skylight is out of the question. Do you have any ideas on how I can make this dark, dismal bathroom feel lighter and more luxurious for our guest? Phil, this is your house. Tell yeah. us what's happening. 1910. I mean, Just like, like your cute little bathroom downstairs that you d- redid that we were all oohing and eyeing over. Well, for starters, it has a window in it. I stayed in a few <laughs> hotels since this question came in, and I kind of paid attention because hotels is, are in hotels a lot There's of times. There's never windows. There's right. never a window so in a bathroom smart, in yes. So I was trying to pay attention in what spaces felt good and what faces didn't. And um, one of the things I saw before you answer, Phil, was um, they had lighting even a, a strip of light behind the mirror that kind of glowed versus just the overhead that sits heavy on you. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was smart. Mm-hmm. And sconces. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they have sco- some kind of nice, pretty decorative sconce that does a lower light and then a brighter light for... Yeah, yeah it sounds like her issue is just lighting, mm-hmm. right? You need to put well, a lot of lighting in uh, there. I think, I think it needs a lot of lighting. Obviously, color of the walls and um, the cabinetry and all that is going to make a difference as well. Um, but you, the lighter the color, the brighter the whole room is going to feel. Um, mm-hmm. The other is there's also lighting that would give the feeling of a, a, a – she mentioned skylights out of the question – but there's lighting that's available that you could install that would be in the ceiling that would feel like it was a skylight and, and have this very even distributed light across the entire or some large portion of the ceiling. I have a question. Yes. So when you say it feels like a skylight, does that mean it's like tucked into the it would be f- behind it, the molding it, kind of be, so it or, pushes up and glows be, on the ceiling? Could be that way or it could be um, something that was flush to the ceiling. Um, and and gave off this light as if it were a skylight. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me just riddle me this, Batman, because <clears throat> I have my bathroom in my uh, my master bathroom. Uh, I, I did put a um, what do you call that window at the very top? It's a, like a you know it just goes yeah, across the it's top. Just a, what do you call that? I think it's called a light. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's called it's a, a window, light. But it's, oh, transom. Oh, yeah, like a little transom, transom window. Yeah. I did that, but. 
Uh, it doesn't provide much light, and this is basically an interior bathroom. And I, um, I put a lot of, like I said earlier in the in the podcast, I have a lot of recessed light in my mm-hmm. ceiling. I put probably six of those in my bathroom, yeah. a couple of them in my shower, plus sconces. You know, you just need a lot of different light sources in there. You definitely um, want sconces coming at your face. Like you need sconces they need for the to vanity. be around head level to reflect light this on is, your face. It looks this prettier. is one of the things I feel like is, I see in house tours and things like that a lot where you go into the bathroom and the sconces are you know, eight feet off the ground. I mean, yeah, they're high. nowhere yeah. near your, and so that, when you look at your face, it's all in shadow. Oh, it's, it's very so unflattering. Yeah. You're, the, the sconces need to be literally right where your face is. We've got to put a couple pictures from your house because, Phil, I noticed this on our tour. It was really cool because I think most of your bathrooms have a full wall of mirror. You don't have an applied mirror. It's like a wall of mirror. Right. And then you have the sconces, your light source, through the coming through the mirror at face level. Right. And it's so smart because you it's not attractive. Well, and it and doubles you, the re, the light, you right? May not, it doubles the light. You may not have noticed, but in Zoe's bathroom, the sconces are... A little lower? A little lower. <laughs> because she's, she's 5'4". Yeah, yeah. Um, not that I'm that tall, but... Um, but that she wants higher. it next to her Right, she her wants face. it next to her face because yeah. that's what's going to make you look best. But so. use that, yeah, so you need sconces for your vanity, yes. several, like probably three. It depends on how wide your vanity is. If it's a, if it's a two it's a, sink, put three. If it's a one right. sink, put two. And then lots of recessed lighting on the top. You could even drop a chandelier into your um, powder roomy area. Mm-hmm. And then, then your shower Put a couple lights in there. You need a couple of lights. Yeah, you need and like enough. a lot of light. Yeah. Also, I and like the idea tile. of a bigger mirror because the bigger your mirror is, the more light it's going to reflect around. True. Yeah. True. I also was thinking, I've seen before out there some like sisal grass cloth kind of wallpaper that has a little bit of metallic, mm. and I feel like that would That's be really pretty because if this is a powder room, no, it's. Well, she says it's your pri- oh, primary a- powder room for the living space. And, and sometimes bathroom. a guest bathroom. Mm. Okay. So you could have this pretty wallpaper that makes it feel more dramatic. Mm-hmm. But because it's really not getting used every day, because it's just a guest bathroom, you won't have to worry about like having But she wants it to be, feel period appropriate. Phil, would you put a metallic grass cloth <laughs> in your home? Probably not at a 1910. Yeah. Subway tile all day long, right? Yep. Well, a sub your subway tile that you have, and a lot of them, if it's a really glossy finish yeah. to it, that'll have the same effect. That's going to give yeah. you that same You're kind right. of reflection. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to invest in lighting. You're going to have to... But if you're doing a full renovation, that's going to be easy. Lighting is going to make anything not dark and dismal. Once all that's opened, it... A couple of extra switches, a couple of extra um, cans in the ceiling is not going to be that much yeah. more. Yeah, get the yeah. tiny little cans, yeah. the tiny pretty ones that yeah. aren't ugly and giant. Because the, in the end, the bulbs um, are going to generate as much light as the larger ones. You might as well get something that's a little more subdued in terms of its scale. Right. Put a so. dimmer on it 
and don't get a blue light bulb. It's a guest bathroom. Definitely put a dimmer on Get a on dimmer it. and then put it on really dim when you have guests over and light a candle. And they're going to be like, ooh, it's so yeah. decorator yeah. in here. Mm-hmm. Put yeah. some flowers in yeah. there. It's going to be awesome. Catherine, <laughs> you're going to uh, show us pictures. We Catherine's see when you're from done. Atlanta, too. <gasps> Catherine, oh, hey, she? what up, girl? 1910, she might be in this neighborhood. <laughs> She's probably <laughs> in Virginia Highlands. Yeah. yeah Catherine, call us. One dilemma. I feel like we've rambled on and on. We only have time for one dilemma tonight. Well, that's because the professor. Is it my fault? No, all your fault. We had a lot of questions. Prepare for our final exam. (laughs) You see why he gets that nickname. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you for inviting me. You won't be as hesitant to come back next time. No, it's not as bad as you thought, is it? And thank you for the house tour. That comes later. That house tour was awesome. Your house is beautiful. Well, thank you. Caroline, you'll put links in yes, the we'll put links to everything. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, we would love for you to leave us a review in iTunes or in your podcast app. You can also follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And please send us your questions. <laughs> Email them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net and we'll answer them on a future episode. And until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.